Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Today is January 1st, 2023. We've got to get used to saying that, right? 2023. And we've gathered here for church, which is so good. And that means we're going to open our Bibles today so you can pull out your Bible. We're going to be starting with the new year, a new book of the Bible. Uh, we'll be in 2 Thessalonians. And so you can turn there. <clears throat> we're going to be studying uh, all of chapter 1 today, and we'll be also receiving communion today at the end of the message. So be prepared for that. And uh, in our section of Scripture this morning, we're going to be given some helpful things to be thinking about for a new year. And God often likes to, you know, line things up in His Word where it's like, man, that, that fits so perfectly so that we can see that He is working. And I believe that today, if we can apply what we will read about in God's Word and really live it out, I think that in this coming year, we can live radically for Jesus uh, in our lives. And so just, just be ready in your hearts today for God to speak to you, for God to give you something good. Because, look, I, I know that any time there's the start of a new year, uh, for most people, it's, it's a time of reflection, right? It's a time where we look back at the things that we did in 2022, and it's a time where we look forward to the things that we want to do in 2023. And uh, usually in that time of reflection where we're looking back and we're looking forward, we're thinking about things that maybe we want to change, right? Things that we want to adjust. And these plans for change we call resolutions. And a res resolution is where you will resolve to do something new in your life that's going to bring about positive change. Isn't that right? And I might have just reminded you of all the cheese and all the bread and the sugar that you ate this last month at Christmas. And now you're thinking about that exercise plan or that eating plan that you want to start here. And I'm just, I'm going to tell you guys, I, I got an exercise bike for Christmas. That was my Christmas gift. And it was all set up in my bedroom this morning, and instead I slept in and I did not use it. And so, um, and, and I want to actually give you a little pointer. If you don't feel like working out, I've got the perfect proof text from the Bible. I'm going to put it on the screen. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. It says this, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Right? And so while we may have in this new year some resolutions for me is to get on the exercise bike a little bit more, maybe to surf a little bit more, but in our text today, what we're going to see Paul speaking about is making a resolution with God, a resolve to live a life with godliness. And, and I want us to see this in a verse a little later down on in the chapter, verse 11, where we read this. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Isn't that just so cool that God lined it up with his word today in this new year where we're going to be looking at how God wants to help us to fulfill every resolve for good and to fulfill every work of faith. And did you notice in that verse that he even promises us the power to do it? 
And so before we go on thinking about how we want to make our own lists of resolutions, which might be working out or eating better or, you know, reading some more books or whatever it might be, which, look, those are all good things. We want to see what Paul was praying for. To what end did he desire to see a work in the Thessalonians? And what we're going to see is we're going to see the sort of resolutions that a Christian ought to be making. And so today, throughout this chapter, we're going to see that Christians can have five resolutions. In verse 3, we'll see that we can resolve to be thankful. In verse 4, we'll see the resolve to endure. In verse 5, we'll see the resolve to be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. In verses 6 through 10, we're going to see the resolve to escape judgment by knowing God and by obeying the gospel. And lastly, in verses 11 through 12, we're going to see the resolve to live in grace and peace and faith and hope and love. And so to consider these five resolves that we as Christians can make, let's start in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, which says this, Paul Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the second letter that was written by Paul and Silvanus or aka Silas and Timothy and they were writing to the church that was in Thessalonica, and the greeting of this second letter is almost identical to the first letter, which we studied at the end of this last year, right? We went through 1 Thessalonians, and we can recall how that church was started in that city when Paul and his companions went on the second missionary journey. It happened when Paul and Silas and Timothy were traveling through the region of Macedonia, and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that after being beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, they made their way to Thessalonica. And there, as they began preaching the gospel for three Sabbaths day, they saw many people come to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. However, as these new disciples began following Jesus, their new faith was immediately met with persecution from those who rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we remember that a jealous and angry mob drove Paul and the others up to the next city of Berea and even chased them out of that city. And then Paul eventually ended up in the city of Corinth, where from that place he wrote these letters, First and Second Timothy. And so this letter, again, is sent from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Why? Well, because they have this shared concern for the church that was, uh, that was there and, and the persecution that they were now facing as new believers in Christ, they were wondering, you know, are, are they going to make it? Uh, are they going to endure? Are, are they going to throw in the towel? Or will they stay steadfast with Christ? And so we know that Paul did send Timothy and found out that the believers there were doing well. And so we've studied the first letter. Now we're looking at this second letter and the second letter was short, sent just shortly after the first, and it was sent to do just a few things. First, this letter was sent to remind and to reinforce just what was written in the first letter. And in the first letter, we learned about how Christians are to respond to suffering for Jesus, and we're going to see that again today. 
In this letter, we see that believers are reinforced in their expectation for the soon coming of Jesus Christ. And as Jim said today, one year closer, one year closer. And so this letter does that. And not only that, but it also corrects some wrong ideas, some wrong views about the coming of Christ and how believers are to be ready for that. And so I just want this to also be an exhortation to us in this new year is that, you know, if the second letter to the Thessalonians is a reminder of things that they already know, I just want to encourage us in this new year is that our resolve for a new year is not going to be attained by discovering some new truth, right? By by doing some new thing. In fact, our resolve comes by being reminded of old things, by being reminded of old truths. You know, good things come into the lives of believers when we remember the truth of the gospel, which is old truth. It's 2,000-year-old truth, and it's been effectively working in people's lives ever since, right? And the gospel has not changed. And Jesus has not changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same as he was on December 31st as he is on January 1st. Now, we are the ones that change. We are the ones that are variable. And if we want to see change come into our lives, then we ought to look to God's unchanging truth, the truth of his word. And, and so we are the ones who, who need that. And so in this coming year, if you're one who makes resolutions, let this be a resolution to remember the things that you already know. Right? The plan will be for you to read up on the Bible to, in a new and fresh way, look to the fixed promises of God's word and to trust with faith in its power to change you and and to see the beautiful changes in your lives that God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring. And so, if I can, I just want to take a moment in this new year to just remind us real quickly of the simple truth of the gospel that we know, which is that... God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated it at Christmas. And the simple message about Jesus is that he came from heaven to earth to save us as sinners. And that message must never grow cold upon our hearts. You know, we we have a God who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the Son of God who was born as the Son of Man He lived a perfect and sinless life so that he could die a sacrificial death on a cross for you and I. He rose from the dead to prove that he conquered sin, death, and the devil once and for all, for all who believe. And anyone who looks to Jesus has the forgiveness of their sins and full access to God always. And so by coming to Jesus, it means coming to receive his grace. And when you receive God's grace, you know what you get? You get peace. And that's why Paul can say to these Christians, and he can say to you, grace and peace to you and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the message of the gospel that will justify anyone who comes to believe in it. And it's the same message that will sanctify us as believers, It's the message that will continually change us. 
Now, here's what I fear. I fear it in my own life, and I fear it for many Christians, is that we begin asking for something else to get us through another year. Is that sometimes we don't sense the power of the gospel in our lives anymore. You know, does, does hearing that Jesus died on a cross for your sins and rose from the dead, does it still hit you? Like, does it still make an impact in your life as a believer? Because, as John says in his epistle, we must never run ahead of this teaching. We must never fall behind in this wonderful truth of who Jesus is. We're to abide in this teaching. And so, friend, I just want to say today, let's remember the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's be reminded of the gospel because being reminded about who Jesus is and what he alone has done, that's what's going to get you through another year. That's what's going to get you through another decade. And so the first and the highest resolution that anyone can and should make is to come to Jesus and to receive all that he has for us in his grace, and we receive it all by faith. And so maybe that's you today. Maybe today is that first step for you. If you haven't come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that today would be the day. Or if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, you'd come back to that place of worshiping Jesus in the simple and profound gospel. Now, for the rest of our time, we're going to be looking through this text, and we're now going to see five resolutions that Christians can make. And I I say that this is only for Christians. This can only be accomplished by those who have been given the grace of God and have the peace of God, who've been filled with the Spirit of God. You cannot do these things apart from Christ. And so the first one is that as Christians, we resolve to be thankful. In verse 3, it says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because our faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So, you know, thankfulness is not something we leave behind at Thanksgiving. As Christians, it's something that we have always. And thankfulness, right, is the secret of contentment. When we look back on a year, are we thankful for it? And and I mean thankful for all of it, the the good, the bad, the ugly. Because when we are thankful in all circumstances, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, which is God's will for the believer, you begin to experience a joy and a satisfaction in life that causes heads to turn. And, And Paul wasn't even talking about thankfulness for the things that were happening in his own life. He's talking about things that were happening in other people's lives. Paul was so thankful to God for what was happening in the lives of his brothers and sisters in Christ in Thessalonica because their faith was growing and their love was increasing that that this was just causing rejoicing and thankfulness in Paul. He had such a contentment to know that other people were doing well. And you know, sometimes, I can say this for myself, that we... We lack gratitude in our own lives that we can't even begin to think about how we ought to be thankful for what's going on in other people's lives. And again, this comes back to contentment. We, we, we don't want to be people who are so unsatisfied with what's happening in our lives that we can't even be thankful what's happening in others. And so Paul was able to 
see what was happening in other people and thank God for it. And, and I guarantee this, is that if you begin to be thankful for what's happening around you and other people, it will cause you to have thankfulness for the good things that are happening for you. You know, it's when we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto others with thankfulness that, that we begin to have that true joy and contentment. Now, did you notice a few key words that Paul uses in saying that he always think, gave thanks for his brothers in Christ? He says that we ought to. He also says, as is right, which is the point is that, that we should be thankful. Like there's no reason not to be. And over the last couple weeks, there has been this video on the internet that's gone viral. You know, these, these viral videos pop up and this video that I've seen come out, it, it's this boy who is singing a song and, and he says this, he says, Lord, I thank you for sunshine, I thank you for rain, I thank you for joy. I thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day. Who's seen that? Some people? Okay, maybe not viral amongst you. <laughs> it was viral for me. I've seen it like 15 times this week. But, but it, it's, it's become so popular because I think that's the attitude, the heart attitude that everyone desires, which is to be thankful to God for everything, even the joy, even the pain, even the sunshine, even the rain, right? And so I guarantee that if we do that, if we give thanks to God this year, in all circumstances, our level of joy and contentment will skyrocket. Next, as Christians, we can resolve to endure, and we see that in verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. Now, I, I've heard people say that Christians should not make resolutions. Maybe you're of that kind where you, you're just like, ah, I'm not really into this whole New Year's resolution stuff. And, and I, I think that if a resolution cannot be anchored in God's promises, and, and if you're resolving to do something that God can't bless or God can't approve of, then, you know, a resolve shouldn't be made. But in the same way, I've also heard Christians say that Christians should not boast. Because, you know, boasting is to brag about something with pride. Now, we know as followers of Jesus that there's no place for pride in our lives. There's, there's no place for bragging because everything that we've received, we've received from God. Yet, why does Paul say here that he is boasting about the other churches in the other churches about the church in Thessalonica. You know, it seems that Paul was going around to these other churches in other cities, and he would talk with pride about what was happening in Thessalonica. Paul would boast to the other churches because of this particular church's steadfastness of faith in the persecution and the afflictions that they were enduring. So then, I think it is right to boast at times, because we see here what Paul was doing was he was boasting in the Lord. It, it pleased God that the church in Thessalonica was enduring. And so if it pleased God, then it certainly would please the churches of God, right? Look, <clears throat> if the news of one church and the things that are happening there makes its way to another church, it should be cause for thankfulness and boasting, 
You know, there were wonderful things that were happening in the church of Thessalonica. Their, their faith was growing abundantly. Their love was increasing for one another. But most of all, like I said, they were enduring through afflictions for their faith. And remember that, that this church in Thessalonica had become the model church for other churches because of their faith and their hope and their love, because they were enduring these afflictions. And Paul would say to these other churches, look at those guys in Thessalonica. Look at how they are enduring, and this is pleasing to God. And these churches was, would be able to say, you know, I want to be like that church. We want, we want to be like that church that has endurance. And listen, Calvary Chapel, Palos Verdes, we want to be a church that can boast about other churches all over this community, all over this world, because of their endurance. Because look, we are only a two-year-old church. And God has done some amazing things in two years, hasn't he? And we can boast about the things that he's done in two years, but would we also be a church that boasts about the churches that have endured for decades and has remained steadfast and faithful with endurance through many seasons of trials and difficulties? Would we be a local church that boasts about other churches of God? See, I boast all the time about this church. I love this church. I love the love that is here. I love the faith that is here. I love seeing people get saved here. God's doing a great work here. And so listen, we want to hear churches bragging about other churches. We don't want to hear churches tearing other churches down. Because remember, as it says there in the text, we are all God's churches, like, churches belong to God. This church belongs to God. Every church in the South Bay belongs to God. Every church in the world belongs to God. And all together, we are really one church. And so would we be a light to the world that would brag about the work that God's doing in all the churches? Because they all belong to God. And then in verse 3, it says, as, or in verse 5, we have this resolve. As Christians, we want to resolve to be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, it says here in verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, which you are also suffering. Now, this is interesting because what Paul is suggesting here to us is that the evidence or the proof that God is a righteous judge is that followers of Jesus will suffer for the kingdom of God. Meaning that our suffering is proof of God's righteousness. And only the gospel can make that sort of a claim. You know? As we've studied books like First and Second Peter and First Thessalonians, We've come to realize that a Christian cannot say that the life of a believer is a suffering-free life. Quite the contrary, we find fellowship with Jesus in our sufferings. We come to a master who's also known as the suffering servant. And so a servant is not greater than his master, and so we will suffer for the name of Jesus. Paul said to Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. Now, look, we don't start out a new year saying, okay, God, bring on the suffering. Bring it on, Lord. 
as though we resolve to suffer more. That's not what the Bible is saying. That's not what I'm saying. We don't need to look for suffering. We don't need to ask for more suffering to come upon us, for we know that in God's perfect will for each of his children, suffering will find us. Therefore, we can say this, I resolve to suffer well when suffering comes my way. See, I don't know what 2023 holds for all of you. And with this many people in, in a room here, there are people who will go through some hard things this next year that you will endure through. And, and right now, what we could do is we can resolve to be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. We can right now say, you know what? If it means that I would suffer for the sake of Jesus, I will do that with rejoicing. For we know this promise of God's word in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, if perhaps in God's will you suffer in this coming year, in whatever facet of what that means, would we resolve to suffer with Christ? Would we ask him to give us the ability to endure? Because when we have endured, we will have a more refined character. And when we have a more refined character, we will have hope. And when we have hope, hope does not disappoint. So to be a follower of Jesus, you've been called to suffer well for Jesus because it's proof that you're worthy of the kingdom of God. And this was true for Paul. Jesus said of Paul when he first began his journey in faith in Acts chapter 19, verse 16, for I will show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Paul did suffer many things for the sake of Christ. And he knew that he had been considered worthy to suffer for the kingdom of God and that that was a good resolve to have. Now, the next resolution that we're going to look at, the fourth one, is actually not for believers in Jesus Christ. A Christian is worthy of the kingdom of God, and we suffer for that now. This next section is for those who cause suffering for believers in Christ, those who inflict the persecution, and it shows us that God is indeed righteous. So the fourth point is that we want to resolve to escape judgment by knowing God and obeying the gospel. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. It says, since indeed God considers it just to repay with afflictions those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Now, 
<clears throat> let, me, let me explain what we just read there in the clearest of language that I can give, which is that God is perfectly just and good. His judgments are always right and true. And at this time, God allows for his people to suffer injustice from those who reject Jesus. And we live in a world of gospel rejection. And we suffer because of that. Yet there's coming a time when God will repay with affliction those who afflict the people of God. God is not unjust to ignore what people have suffered for his name. And so in time, God will give relief, meaning there will be a release of that pressure. That word affliction or persecution comes from the idea of pressure. There will be a release of that pressure from his afflicted people because we'll be with the Lord. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. It's not, not yet. You know, we're not promised release or relief of affliction now, but we are promised it in the time to come. And Paul said this, understanding that Christ would be revealed at his second coming at any moment. Paul believed that as he suffered for Christ in his lifetime, that Jesus could have come back and brought relief to that. But on the same hand, can't you imagine that Paul was glad that Jesus waited for him? I mean, think about it, because we know that Paul afflicted Christians before he became one. Paul was killing Christians before he became a Christian. And so aren't we able to say that Paul was glad to have Jesus stay his coming and to have saved him? Because once Paul was saved, he learned that the Father had poured out all the affliction towards sin on his son Jesus at the cross. Jesus was afflicted with suffering and death for our sins to remove God's righteous judgment towards sinners. He swallowed up the death that we all deserve. And anyone can escape that righteous judgment of God by trusting in the work of Jesus that he fulfilled at his first coming. And that must be done before his second coming. Because in his first coming, he died and rose again to save sinners. But at his second coming, if you're not a saved sinner, you'll be a judged sinner. And I'm so glad that I know God. And I pray that you know God because verse 8 says that when Jesus comes again, he will come in this way in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So Jesus is going to appear in flaming fire. You can read about that in the book of Revelation. And it's terrifying if you don't know Jesus as your gentle Lord and Savior. In flaming fire, Jesus will inflict vengeance. And vengeance is perfectly just repayment. And he'll do this at his second coming. And who will Jesus inflict this vengeance upon? It says right there. On those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. See, the, the parallelism of those words is meant to show us who God's saved people are. And I, 
I, I pray you are. I look out and I know many of you are saved and that we would have that assurance that we know Jesus, that we know God, and that we obey the gospel of God because saved people are those who know God and those who obey the gospel. To know God is to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, and to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus is to know God. And so you've heard the gospel proclaimed today, perhaps for the first time, and you want to begin a life with Jesus, I just pray between you and God today, you would be assured about where you stand, where your eternity lies, because Jesus here is willing to save you from the fate of those who do not know God and those who do not know the gospel. He's, he's come to save people from hell. Verse 9 says, they, that is those who don't know God and don't obey the gospel of God, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. This is one of those scriptures in the Bible that speaks about the reality of hell. And how is it to talk about hell on New Year's Day? It's, but it's in the word. And hell is an eternal place of punishment for those who do not receive the eternal kingdom of God, which is the place that the Bible calls heaven, a place where the glory and the presence of God dwells, a place that if you've trusted in Jesus, you will be with him there. See, hell is reserved for Satan and demons. It's not intended for mankind. And yet, by rejecting the gospel, people choose that way of destruction. God doesn't send people to hell. We know that, right? God doesn't send people to hell. God delivers people from hell. And hell is chosen by those who are ensnared by the devil, those who have hardened their heart to the voice of God's salvation. Hell is for those who ignore God's warning of judgment and reject his only way of salvation, which is through the person, the work of Jesus Christ. So this is my humble responsibility before you today <clears throat> as a servant of God, teaching the word of God is to gently warn you about hell. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26 says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after having been captured by him to do his will. See, the person who spoke about hell the most in the Bible is Jesus. And I think that was to make sure that such a terrible judgment would be communicated correctly. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he said, Do not fear those who can kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And in verse 9, hell is described here as suffering punishment, eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord in the glory of his might. And that last description of hell is potent. You see, what makes hell hell is that God is not there. An eternity away from the goodness and the kindness of God, that is hell enough for me. 
I want heaven. And what makes heaven heaven is the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. To know God and to obey his gospel is to know and to experience something of that presence of the Lord and that glory of his might today. And you can, by faith, as God gives you the grace, you can know God. You can know God and you can obey his gospel, which is such an interesting thing, right? Obey the gospel means obey receiving something that's free, something that's freely offered through the work of Jesus in the obedience of Jesus, because we've never obeyed. To obey the gospel is to say, I've not obeyed, and I need the one who has obeyed for me to save me, Jesus Christ. So remember, saints, this day is coming in verse 10. When he comes on that day, he will be glorified in his saints. And to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. You've heard the testimony of the gospel today. Jesus came to save sinners. I am one of them. So are you. And if you turn to Jesus and you trust in him, you can receive the free gift of life. And, and so are we living for Jesus like what it says here, we will be living for him at his second coming. See, when Jesus comes, it says that Jesus will be glorified in us. That's powerful. And not only that, but we will marvel at him. And, and this will happen by those who have resolved to live for Jesus now, which brings us to that fifth resolution. Those who will marvel at Jesus at his coming, those who will have Jesus glorified in them at his coming are those who today live in grace and peace and faith and hope and love. For verse 11 through 12 says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good work and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's prayer here at the end is that God would give us the power of the Holy Spirit to resolve to live for Christ today, what we will be in the future. You will rule and you will reign with Christ in his kingdom. You will be in a place where there is no more sin, there is no more sickness, there is no more death, because Jesus has conquered it all. You will see Jesus face to face. You will marvel at him and he will be glorified in you. And the Bible says that if you've come to Jesus, you've come to his eternal life. And eternal life is not something that just starts when you get to heaven. It's something that can begin today in your life, that you can have such a thankfulness for the joy and the peace and, and the love and the grace that's in your life that you would experience in Jesus in such a way that, that at his second coming, you'll marvel at him. So how will we marvel at his second coming? Marvel today at his first coming. Marvel today that Jesus has saved you from sin and hell <laughs> and from everything that wants to destroy you. And resolve to know Jesus and to be known by Jesus. That is your life now and that will be your life forever. Resolve for good. Resolve for every work of faith. 
for these qualities are yours in Christ, and they're to be ever-increasing, and they're to be always flowing through you, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your people who are here. I pray that this teaching from your scriptures has brought us back to Christ if we've at all drifted. To say, Jesus, we love you and we thank you for saving us. And if there's anybody here today, Lord, who hasn't known you in this way, hasn't obeyed the gospel by receiving the free gift of salvation that you offer. God, I pray that today they would. And God, I pray that as we partake of communion this morning, God, that we would draw near to you and God, that you would draw near to us. We thank you for this wonderful morning and this new year that we get to live into. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen.